0: Well, Good morning, for those of you visiting this morning, <clears throat> you're at, the, at part four of a four-part series of um, the Gifts of the Spirit. So thankfully, we have uh, audio taped all of this, so you can go back to our website, and you can download it, and you can listen to the, uh, the audio version of, of the uh, Spiritual Gifts again. And um, I'm going to encourage not just visitors to do that, but those of you who have heard the messages. Uh, at the end, we're going to talk about um, good reason to go back and listen to it again. So, we're in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we left off with, chapter, with verse 5 last week. So, we're going to begin with verse 6 this morning. Now, Before we do that, if anybody still needs a copy of the 20 gifts that we have listed, put your hand up and uh, David or somebody back there can uh, grab them and and pass them out to you. Just keep your hand up and I won't call upon you to come up and say something. Just He'll know that you need a copy. Okay. So we did not take the gifts um, in order that they were given. Rather, we took them... um, In the order that they're showing in in the scripture. So uh, this morning we're left with two the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. And uh, that's what we'll look at this morning in chapter 14. So, verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. So Paul is looking back at when he came to Corinth the first time. And when he came, he spoke to them in their own language, in a language that they understood. And as a result of him speaking to them in their own tongue, uh, they understood what he was saying. And he had preached the gospel to them, And they understood the gospel and they believed the gospel and were saved. And that's because they heard it in their own language and they understood it in their own language. Had he come instead and said, you know what, I have the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues and I just want to show off what I can do. And he began to speak to them in some foreign language, English I don't think had been invented yet. But if he, had been, if he had come to them and spoken to them in some language that they did not know, they probably knew Greek, and they may not have known Hebrew. And so if he just went on and on in Hebrew, uh, or on and on in Assyrian or something like that, they wouldn't have understood a thing he said. And They would have looked puzzled and said, you know, this guy's crazy, and never would have been saved. And so Paul is reminding them, that when he came, he came not speaking in tongues because it would not have profited them, but instead by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, and by teaching. And essentially he's saying, if I were to come back to Corinth now, you guys have all taken on the, the uh, idea that tongues is the most important gift to use. It's the most important gift to uh, demonstrate. And yet you're... Uh, as you're speaking in tongues, how do we distinguish whether or not um, you're speaking in a new revelation or a word of knowledge or a prophecy or some form of teaching? How would you be able to discern the message if the sound coming out of his mouth was indistinct? Does anybody know this too? Anybody recognize it? So to illustrate what Paul is saying to them, he uses this very thing that you're hearing in the background. This is an orchestra playing tuning. <laughs> There's no distinct sound. You don't know what the melody is because there is none. But he says in verse 7, Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound... Unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle?" The point is, and and what what Paul is saying here, is that even instruments must play a tune in order for us to distinguish the sounds. Otherwise, it's just noise. And that first tune that you heard was just noise. It's just people adjusting their instruments, tuning up their instruments so that they will all sound properly when they play together. So verse 9 says this, So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. If someone has the gift of speaking in tongues, and all they do is jabber, jabber, jabber in that language, no one understands. It's just noise, and you'll be speaking into the air. Paul then uses an illustration and uh, of various languages. Yesterday I did a quick look on Google, which is my favorite place to go for uh, getting quick answers. If you do an online search, you'll find that there are approximately 7,106. That six has to be in there too. 7,106 living languages in the world today. Wow. And they all have to be significant They are all significant, but only to the people who speak them, only to the people who understand them. Verse 10 says, there are, it may be, so many languages, uh, kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me." None of the 7,106 languages are meaningful to me except English, because that's the only language I know. I know, poor me. I was uh, told uh, when Chris and I were considering going overseas as missionaries that uh, we did a language aptitude test, and after the test was over, the teacher went and handed out uh, acceptance papers to all of the people who took the language proficiency test. And everybody left, and we were sitting there by ourselves, and I said, how come you didn't come to us? And she says, well, I didn't want to embarrass you. She says, the two of you have absolutely no uh, language aptitude whatsoever. We don't even know how you speak English. (laughs) I have friends who understand and speak up to 12 languages. It's quite rare, but there are 12 languages of the seven thousand one hundred six that are meaningful to them. The point of Paul's illustration is that if I do not understand the language, then I really can't benefit the person speaking uh, to me, and I can't, I can't be benefited from him either. I can't build him up, and he can't build me up uh, in the body, because we don't understand each other. I remember years ago, uh, 19, the 70, in 1980, I went overseas with Bill McDonald and a couple of other people, and we were given a Volkswagen van by Operation Mobilization, and those uh, vans were held together by prayer. Um, they would borrow parts from other vehicles and put them together, and and pray that they would last through the summer. Well, we were driving. We went to 13 different countries in all, and we got to the Swiss Alps, and it's pretty hard for a Volkswagen van that's put together, um, no matter how it's put together. Um, to, to take the, the, uh, the, the um, hills, the mountains of the Alps. And uh, we had five people in the vehicle and all of our luggage. And we're going up this mountain, and I heard this, <laughs> and I thought, uh-oh, that's the engine. And sure enough, the engine died. And thankfully, the, the Swiss are very um, advanced, and they had these roadside phones and so the Swiss speak their own language, which is what? French. And um, we speak English. And um, so we went to the phone. And I was the guy there. And I, again, barely know English, right? So I said, hello. He goes, bonjour. I go, oh, good. I'm from Canada. I'm supposed to know, I'm supposed to know French. <laughs> and I don't. And uh, I said, in English, our van is broken down at the side of the road. Pardon? That means pardon me in French. And uh, I said, our van, Volkswagen. Oui? I said, yeah, broken down on the side of the highway. Pardon? <laughs> no, I didn't, knew there was no communication. Bill came along, and uh, he knows, knew enough uh, foreign languages to make him dangerous and so he got on the phone and even he couldn't communicate with the other person I thought well I don't feel so bad because he knows French a little bit and I don't and uh, the guy goes "Um, you know basically no comprende or whatever he was trying every language he could to figure out what we were saying and finally Bill in frustration says Volkswagen kaput (laughs) and he goes oh (laughs) so they sent somebody out to tow us away but, I mean, we were just jabbering away meaningless nonsense. We were just talking into the air um, because we didn't understand each other. And really what Paul is saying is this, that the gift of tongues being used mindlessly, uh, really it's the same thing. You can be talking a foreign language. It may be, you may be able to show off the gift God has given you, but it doesn't help anybody else. It builds no one up um, who comes to hear it. Um, verse 12 even so you since you are zealous for spiritual gifts so Paul is admitting look it's great that you have this desire to have all of the spiritual gifts and to be useful to the Lord in exercising the spiritual gifts but let it be done for the edification of the church that you seek to uh, to excel. So the idea is, this, look seek the gifts that will build up the church, that will build up the believers. And that's what he is uh, referring to here. Tongues really does not edify the church, rather seek the gifts that are for the edification of the body. Verse thirteen, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray, that he may interpret. So now we come to the last of the gifts, and we're going to uh, look at it in more detail in a minute, Uh, the gift of interpretation. So it's very interesting that the gift of tongues must be coupled together with the gift of interpretations. Otherwise, it is not to be used at all. And so um, that's what he is saying here. If you speak in a tongue, pray that you may interpret. If you speak in a foreign tongue, if we have some visitor from overseas come and they speak in a foreign language only, then we need to have an interpreter. But that's not the spiritual gift of tongues. The spiritual gift of tongues was a a supernatural ability to speak a language, a known language that you had not previously learned. Um. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. A person speaking in tongues may benefit from the feeling that his spirit is able to utter words expressing his deepest feelings, but the rest of the audience is unmoved. The words are unintelligible. So Paul says, What's the conclusion then? Verse 15 I will pray with the spirit, I will also pray with the understanding, I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. So Paul is drawing a conclusion about the gift of tongues. Speak in a way, he says, that you're understood. Sing in such a way that others understand what you're saying, what you're singing. The spiritual gift of tongues was not meant for personal gratification. If you don't speak or sing in a way... That is understood, how will those listening be able to follow what you're saying or singing? And how will they be able to say at the end of it, amen? Now this morning in the Lord's Supper, um, I said something and I heard one person say amen. And it's appropriate. And then I asked again and they said amen, right? So this is what he's saying. You're saying amen in agreement to what is being said. If you don't understand what is being said, you can't say amen. You can't say, I agree with that. You're going to go, huh? Huh? Verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say? The Corinthians may argue here, well, why shouldn't I speak in tongues? I'm blessed for it. I mean, as long as I get a blessing out of it, who cares about everybody else, right? That would be like a teacher studying the word of God And benefiting from the the time and the effort that he's putting into teaching the Word, uh, into studying the Word of God, and never tell another soul about it. It's very selfish, it's self centered. And that's not how the gifts are meant uh, to be used. The gifts are meant to be shared or to be used in such a way that others benefit, that others are built up by them. Verse 17, for you indeed give thanks. Well, but the other is not edified. Well, it's good that you're giving thanks, but nobody else is. Paul keeps going back to the main reason for the gifts, and that is for, for the edification or the building up of the entire body. Paul then says in verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he could be verbose in in, uh, his tongue speaking and he probably could speak many languages and he could go on and on eloquently and nobody would be blessed. He said, I'd rather say five words. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Okay, that's six. All right. That is more... Uh, intelligible, and it, and it is um, something that you can be blessed by than 10,000 words in foreign language that you know nothing about. So the gifts, and especially the gift of tongues, was not meant to show off to others. Paul could speak more than all of them, but he chose to speak words that they understood, and better to speak a few words that way than many words in an unknown language. Okay, verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. You know, I really think the Corinthians had an infatuation for the gift of tongues. And many of our Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters have the same infatuation today. It's, it's like they view the gift of tongues as a toy to be played with. And they're amused by it. And they're acting, the Corinthians were acting like show offs. And Paul appeals to the Corinthians here in this passage. And he says, basically, grow up. You're acting like babies, you're acting like little children. Grow up. He says, now, it's okay to be babies, it's okay to be immature or to be innocent when it comes to practicing evil. So if you want to be childlike in your. Practicing evil, do that, but not when it comes to spiritual gifts. When it comes to practicing evil or malice, be babes, but when it comes to spiritual gifts, they need to grow up. Speaking in tongues showed that they really preferred childish things instead of maturing as believers and seeking gifts that would cause maturity in the whole church. And the fact is that the gift of tongues was not really a sign of blessing for believers, it was actually a sign of condemnation to unbelievers. And so Paul, to to illustrate this, he reaches back to the Old Testament. We talked about this briefly last week. And he goes back to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. The passage in its context is that the Lord was saying to Israel, I am going to bring a... you, You did not listen to my simple... Communication to you to repent of your sins and turn to me. I spoke to you in very simple and plain terms, and you refused to listen. So the next voice you hear is going to be the voice of tongues, foreign tongues, foreign language, and um, <clears throat> because you wouldn't repent of your sins, you will the, the the next voice you hear will be a language you do not know, and it's going to be a sign of judgment. Verse. 21 says and he's quoting from Isaiah 28:11 in the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips i will speak to this people and yet for all that they will not hear me says the lord therefore tongues are a, are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe so the foreign language that the jews heard back in Isaiah 28, was an indication that judgment had fallen on Israel. And it was the Assyrians. I incorrectly said the Babylonians last Sunday, but it it was the Assyrians who came in and uh, invaded the land. And what Paul is saying by using this passage is, is saying this, look, the speaking in foreign tongues should warn the current Jewish nation, the unbelievers, that judgment was about to fall again, and it did in A.D. 70 at the invasion of Titus of Rome and the worldwide scattering of the Jewish nation. Paul then emphasizes that tongues is not meant for believers. It was meant for a sign to unbelievers, and particularly the unbelieving Jews. But the better gifts for believers include prophesying. And of course, the better gifts would also include Gifts that are still in existence today. They are better, not because there's a better value to them, but but they're better in the sense that they build up the body. So gifts such as um, teaching and showing mercy and giving and all of those gifts that are current today are meant for the building up of the body today, edifying the believers. Verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face... He will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I don't know if you've ever been into, uh, have ever gone into a uh, Pentecostal or charismatic meeting. I have. I used to be part of a um, quartet, and uh, we would be invited to various churches, and sometimes we were invited into uh, charismatic or Pentecostal churches, and they would have their service. And most of the time, there would be some uh, opportunity for. The congregation to speak in tongues and I'd sit there shaking my head and I'd go this is just totally meaningless it's totally um, not benefiting any of us um, but what Paul is saying here is suppose you're all speaking in tongues and you're all just making a big noise and 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 blowing into the wind and an unbeliever walks through the doors what is he going to think what is she going to think this is crazy what are these people doing and will walk out being unblessed, not being helped, not being convicted of their sin. But if instead, everybody who gets up speaks the truth from the word of God and is teaching or is prophesying or is exhorting, that person will be convicted of their sin. That person will understand that there is a God in heaven who loves them and cares for them and and sent his son to die on the cross for them. They will understand and come away being blessed or being or, or at least recognizing if nothing else that God is in our presence. And that's what Paul is saying here. <clears throat> Paul teaches that all gifts should be exercised, but they should be done in a decent and it should be done in a decent and orderly way. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, then let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. So this is where we come to the gift of interpretation. It's our final gift in the list of 20. The use of tongues in the church, as I said, must always be accompanied by the condition that there is an interpreter. The gift was not meant to confuse, but to edify. It should seem pretty clear, even to our Pentecostal and charismatic brethren, that the gift of tongues has actually ceased. Um, and the reason I said say that is what I mentioned last week is that <clears throat> even in the churches that pr- promote tongues so energetically, there is not a foreign missionary among them who has not had to learn a language in the normal process in order to go out to the mission field and to be used of God that way. I know of no case of a missionary going out and just having the spiritual gift of tongues and being able to speak in that foreign language. <clears throat> they all go through the normal schooling before going to the mission field. It's interesting to me that, that the gift of tongues is very unique. Um, and the first use of it in the church was at Pentecost when Peter, who was a, an unlearned fisherman, got up and he spoke in the languages of the people who were there in Jerusalem on that day. And they understood him. And they were known languages, and he did not have to go to school to learn those languages. It was a supernatural gift, so they could speak to the people who were in Jerusalem, and those people understood what was being said. Someone has said that it would be interesting to have someone record a so-called meeting of speaking in tongues, and submit the recording to language experts to determine if what is being said is in fact one of the 7107 languages of the world Um, then I would like to see that same recording being given to those who say they have the gift of interpretation of tongues give it to let's say three people and on their own independently of one another tell us what was actually said and see if they're consistent See if their interpretation is consistent. If they have the gift of tongues, the the people who have the gift of interpretation should be able to interpret. And the gift of interpretation should be consistent from one interpreter to the next. And if it's not, there is no gift of tongues. That challenge actually has gone out um, to many of um, those who promote tongues and interpretation as a gift that is still active today. And I don't think it's ever been uh, acted upon. I don't think anybody has actually said, yes, we'll do it. We'll prove to you that the gifts are still um, operational today. So since both of these gifts must work side by side, hand in hand, uh, there should be no reason why it couldn't be done if they're still operational today. Um, But no one seems to want to prove that point. There was a man named William Samarin who is a competent linguist. This was... um, Charles Ryrie, in his book on the Holy Spirit, refers to him, <clears throat> and he spent decades carefully analyzing hundreds of cases of tongues speaking worldwide. Here are some significant excerpts from his book, Tongues of Men and Angels. There is no mystery about, he uses the word uh, glossolalia, I'll just use the word tongues because it's easier, for us to, it's easier for me to say, because I have trouble in English, <laughs> And that's not an English word. So, there is no mystery about tongues. Tape-recorded samples are easy to obtain and to analyze. They always turn out to be the same thing. Strings of syllables made up of sounds taken from among all those that the speaker knows, put together more or less haphazardly, but which nevertheless emerges as a word-like or a sentence-like unit, because of realistic language like rhythm and melody. In other words, what he's saying is people are going to say things that sound like they have uh, consonants and syllables in them, and, you know, la, 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 la. Even babies do that. You know, they they make sounds, and you go, oh, that's probably dada, you know, or mama. And eventually they'll get to the point where they do actually say dada and mama. But tongues are, are this... Speaking in tongues is indeed like language in some ways, but this is only because the speaker, perhaps unconsciously, wants it to be like language. Yet in spite of superficial similarities, tongues speaking is fundamentally not language. All specimens of tongues that have been studied have produced no features that would even suggest that they reflect some kind of communicative system. Current tongue speaking is not a supernatural phenomenon. It is, in fact, a very natural phenomenon. In fact, anybody can produce this kind of tongues speaking if he is uninhibited and if he discovers what the trick is. When the full apparatus of, an, of linguistic science comes to bear on speaking in tongues, the turns, it turns out to be only a facade of language, although at times a very good one Indeed. For when we comprehend what language is, we must conclude that no tongues, no matter how well constructed, is a specimen of human language. If this linguistic analysis is true, and if biblical tongues were uniformly, uniformly actual languages, then one has to conclude that the biblical tongues are not being experienced today. Well, the man is a linguist. I'm not. The studies that they've done demonstrate that they're not actual languages today, Um, And as I say, as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, there's no indication that tongue speaking is a gift that still exists uh, for the present day. But suppose it did. Suppose it did. Paul gives us a list of um, uh, requirements that must be followed if the gift of tongues is to be used. And so let's look at the verses. Verse 26 tongues speaking. And by the way, as I mentioned, I've been in churches where tongue speaking is used. If they followed the requirements of scripture, none of what I have personally heard would ever have been done. Okay. So verse 26, it must be done for edification of other believers, because that is what um, all of the gifts are meant, uh, are meant for. They're, they're meant to edify others, not personal edification, but to edify others. If not, this gift must not be used. So verse 26. Verse 27. Only two, or at the most three people, can speak in tongues. All others must refrain. Now, if you've ever been to a church or have ever seen you know, television uh, examples of this, You have an entire congregation speaking in so-called tongues. Scripturally, two, and at the most three, can speak in tongues. Verse 27, the two or three must not speak at the same time. And yet that is exactly what does happen. The congregation is all speaking, and they're all speaking at one time, and it's just a great big noise. It's the symphony tuning. That's what it is. And uh, Paul says here, no, two or three must not speak at the same time, but in order. Uh, Verse 27, this is the fourth requirement. There must be an interpreter. I have personally never seen that. I have never seen that, where um, there is somebody who actually interprets and, and obviously would have to interpret correctly. Verse 28, if there is no interpreter, the gift must not be exercised. A person is permitted to speak silently to God, silently to God, but not um, uh, publicly. And verse 34 is not really part of our passage today, but I'm going to skip ahead here. Women are to remain silent in the churches. No woman is permitted to exercise this gift in the church for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. That eliminates almost all the tongues right there because what I have seen it is mostly women who do it. I'm not saying that men don't. Men do. I've seen both. But, but if you just follow the strict guidelines of the Scripture, um, almost all tongues, including tongues in Charismatic and Pentecostal meetings, would stop because they're not following these scriptural principles. So we've come to the end of our list of spiritual gifts. Uh, it is my hope that you will think through the gifts and ask the Lord what is my gift? What are my gifts? Um, And that you would begin to exercise your gifts for the uh, building up of the body here at Calvary Bible Chapel as a first place and also the the body worldwide. Knowing your gift, and I want to say this um, carefully, but knowing your gift will help you in the direction of your entire life. Do you realize that? If you know what your spiritual gift is, it will actually help you in the direction of your entire life. There will be things that you will be able to say, no, the Lord has not called me to this, but he has called me to this, and this is where I want to focus my attention and my ministry and my life. You should know your spiritual gift. It's tremendously important. Uh, for you, it solidifies your place in the local church in a position where you will serve most effectively. Knowing your gift and exercising it should eliminate confusion that you may have about what ministry you should be involved in or not be involved in. You should be involved in ministry, no question about that. But what ministry should it be? Um, and it really should take away feelings of inferiority. Um, there Many Christians go through, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not an exhorter. I don't have the gift of evangelist, And they spend their life comparing others against themselves. And they have this inferiority complex about their, their spiritual gifts or their, their place in the body of Christ. There's no reason for it. Because it is the Holy Spirit of God who has given According to his will and his purpose, the gifts or gifts that he has given to you. That's very clear from the passage. That it is his sovereignty or his sovereign will that you have your particular gifts. And that fingerprint, as we talked about uh, before, is yours and yours alone. The way you exercise your gift is going to be different than the way I exercise my gift, even if you're a teacher, the way you exercise it will be different. It's going to be unique uh, to you. Knowing what your spiritual gift is should encourage you to spend the necessary time and effort to develop your spiritual gift. So if you clearly think that the Lord has given you the gift of teaching, it's going to mean a tremendous amount of study but it should be enjoyable study. It should be study that you actually want to do because a teacher wants to spend time in the word of God and to be able to share what he has or she has learned from it. But how do you know what your spiritual gift is? That's sort of like the big, you know, unknown question mark in in all of this. How do you know what your spiritual gift is? So I'm gonna give you seven points here, um, which always makes a good sermon from what I'm told. So the first point is this, begin by praying. It should be obvious, but begin by praying. Ask God to open your eyes to know what your spiritual gift is so that by exercising it, you may be the most effective Christian you can be. Pray and sincerely tell the Lord, Lord, I want to bear fruit for you. I want to be effective in my Christian life. And I want to be a part of building up the body of Christ, because that's what the gifts are for. Ask him to make your gifts plain to you so that you can begin to use them to build up the body. Second, study. Study what the Bible has to say about gifts. Well, we've just spent four weeks studying the gifts And if you forget what we said in week one, well, praise the Lord, we have people who have the gift of helps and they've been recording it for us and they've put it up online and you can go back and you can hear it all over again. So re-listen to the sermons if you have forgotten already. Read the passages. So in the handout, we actually listed the passages at the bottom of the page. Look at them, study them and ask the Lord uh, as you pray, which gift is yours? Study what the gifts are how they apply. Uh, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker who needs not to be ashamed in this particular area of spiritual gifts. Number three, observe others who are exercising their gifts and learn from them. If you think you have the gift of evangelism, then study the life of evangelists. That would be a natural thing to do. It would be a good thing to do. You can uh, look at those who are Current evangelists that the Lord is using. You can look at historical evangelists. There's all kinds of uh, biographies of those who had the gift and used the gift and how the Lord used them. And it will encourage you and uh, challenge you. So observe others. If teaching is your gift, then study the lives of teachers. If giving is your gift, then study the lives of those who God used uh, to give, the lives of givers. Watch how the Lord used them, read about and study how the gift was developed in their life, how the Lord challenged them. I think, for example, let's take George Mueller as an example of this. George Mueller didn't one day wake up and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to start an orphanage and and house and feed 2,000 children. It's not the way it happened. He eventually did that as his faith grew But that's not where he started. And the Lord will start you right where you're at. You say, well, I only have the faith the size of a mustard seed. Well, that's pretty good if that's what you've got. Because from all accounts, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it shall be done for you. So if that's all you've got, good start. Okay, But let the Lord cause it to grow. So observe what others... um, How others have exercised their gifts. Watch how the Lord used them and imitate them as they imitated Christ. You can look at lives, some who had the gifts um, in the New Testament and uh, also in history, even in our church. Okay, number four, personal desire, or some might like to use the word aspiration. Since the Lord... Uh, Since the Holy Spirit has given you gifts, it is obvious to me, at least, that he will also give you the desire to use that gift. I mean, it seems like kind of a no-brainer, but if he's given you a particular gift for the benefit of the church, he's going to give you a desire to use that gift for the benefit of the church. So if you desire to serve, then serve, throw yourself into service. If you find the aspiration to teach, then look for opportunities. Don't shy away from it. You say, well, I don't like the particular passages that they want to give me. Well, guess what? There are a lot of hard passages. There are a lot of difficult passages. And I don't want to hear a preacher always talking about his favorite passages, as some do. Okay? Be stretched. Grow. If you find a burden to show mercy, then do it with all your heart. If you desire the position of an elder, the Bible says you desire a good work. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.1, um, and then he lists the qualifications. So personal desire, in a sense, is a prerequisite, um, but so are qualifications for the work. So I could start by asking you the question, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in the Christian life? What is your goal, your desire, this burning desire in your heart? I I really want to serve the Lord in this way. Well, that's probably a good indication of the aspiration or the um, personal desire that the Holy Spirit has given you to serve Him. Number five, I titled this one, Your Ability is Showing. I recommend that all believers get involved in the ministry. Uh, When an opportunity arises, join in. You say, well, it's service. I don't think I have the gift of service. Well, guess what? Join in service anyway. You might find in doing the service that you have the gift of giving or of showing mercy or of, you know, any other of the gifts. But whatever there is, you find... Uh, an opportunity to serve, serve the Lord with all your might, serve him with gladness, Uh, serve him, teach, preach, evangelize, comfort, show mercy, give. And in doing this, your gift will actually be confirmed um, by your delight in doing it and by others who watch you and are benefited from it. Please don't expect to be fully mature in one day. There were certain gifts, like tongues, where, where God gave a supernatural ability and it was, it was immediate. It's not the way it is with most of the gifts. There is a time of growth and development that comes along with it. So don't, be, don't expect to be fully mature from day one. But you will find as you minister in various ways, others will be blessed by what you do. Others will be blessed by your exercising uh, your gifts. And you will find real joy um, in some areas of ministry. Or you'll find fruitfulness uh, as, as you serve the Lord in some gift area. And your ability will show to yourself and to others. So, bottom line is, don't shun opportunities to serve. Look for any and all opportunities. And then your gift will become obvious to all. Number six, seek counsel from those Who know you well? Ask a number of people who know you well, what do you think my gift area is? What do you see in me? They may or may not have it right. They may tell you something that they just think you want to hear. (laughs) So ask and ask around a number of people who know you well and see what they think your gift area is. It's helpful, if if nothing else, it's helpful to get a little sense for how others see you. And if there's consistency and others say, you know what, every time um, you get up and you say something, I'm blessed by it. I I walk away so comforted and so helped by it. I think you have the gift of, what is that? Could be exhortation, could be teaching, it could be a number of things, okay? But ask and you'll find that there should be some consistency in what others see. Number seven, blessing will follow. As you exercise your gift area, you say, well, I don't know that I have the gift of evangelism. Well, the Bible still says do the work of an evangelist. You say, well, I don't know if I have the gift of showing mercy. Well, we're to be merciful anyway, you know, um, Maybe I, I don't have the gift of helps. Well, we're all to show hospitality. So in, in every way, we are still to exercise gifts. Uh, your, your gift area may not be uh, evangelism. Um, you could probably preach the gospel every day of your life, and you may see a few people come to know the Lord. Um, but an evangelist, every time he opens his mouth, it seems like somebody is coming to the Lord, you know? And I sometimes shudder when I hear evangelists speak, and I think, man, they are yanking that passage way out of context. As a teacher, I'm troubled by some of the things that they they do with the scripture, and yet the Lord uses it. And then I have to think back at my own life, and I think of walking into uh, a uh, a meeting one day in Vancouver, and the preacher um, was was speaking. I was an unsaved man. I thought I was saved. I walked into that meeting, seriously, this is what I thought, that the Lord was lucky to have me, you know? I was, you know, one of God's favorites and chosen almost. I mean, that's kind of my attitude. In, in the, the next hour, the preacher who got up and preached, after he was finished, I, I kind of uh, sc- scrouched out of the meeting and... And uh, said, wow, I don't even think God can save me. I am such a sinner. The conviction of sin in that one hour was so strong and so evident. And the Lord was beginning to do a work in my heart and my life to save me. I didn't get saved that day. It wasn't for a couple of months later. But my point is that as I've heard that message, it was recorded. And I've listened to that message since then. And the man came from England It was an Easter conference, and you'd think he would be preaching on the, you know, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, sir, he did not. He preached, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, I will uh, heal their land, I will uh, forgive their sin and heal their land. And I'm sitting there going, as I'm listening to it, it's not an Easter message. And his message was actually to the church and how far the church had come, gone away from the Lord. The passage in its context as a Bible teacher has to do with Israel. But he used it as an application to the church. That's what his purpose was. But the Holy Spirit of God used it as an application to me that I'm a sinner on my way to hell. So it's very interesting to me that the exercise of that gift brought blessing ultimately um, of salvation And it really wasn't the intention of the speaker at all. Quite interesting. But blessing will follow in the exercise of your spiritual gift. If God has given you the gift of evangelism, you're going to see souls saved. If he has given you the gift of teaching, then believers will grow under your teaching. If he has given you the gift of showing mercy, you will see people who are in need and you will help them and they will be blessed by it. If he has given you the gift of giving, you will see needs and you will fund projects and missionaries and uh, opportunities to get the gospel out. And you'll see people that you can give money to. It's interesting that, that the more you give, the more the Lord opens your eyes. You'll be diligent and fruitful in your giving. Whatever your gifts are, when you exercise your gifts, God will bring blessings. So, exercise your gifts, and others will be edified. So when should you consider what your gift might be? I would suggest not waiting, okay? None of us are getting younger. I encourage you to get started today. Each day, ask the Lord for opportunities... To use your gift for him. And that means that the gift as it is being exercised, you're thinking in terms of others, not yourself. You're thinking in terms of how your gift area might be used to benefit others in the church because that's what the gifts are meant for. Ask the Lord to, to daily give you opportunities to exercise your spiritual gift and be ready for him To provide opportunities for you, if you're going to ask something like that, expect Him to bless you by giving you opportunities, and then what do you need to do? Seize them. Seize the opportunities to serve him. May the Lord, who has given you your spiritual gifts, use you uh, to build up His body and glorify His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the um, Word of God. We thank you that you have given us instruction. You have taught us about spiritual gifts. We thank you for the gifts that you have given each one of us who knows you. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see and to understand what our gifts are and how we can best use them for the building up of the body. We pray, Lord, that this would not be just another sermon, just another message, just another look at 1 Corinthians. But Lord, rather it would be a time in our lives when we would be exercised before you to seek out what you want us to do, what ministry opportunities you have for us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us daily opportunities to exercise the spiritual gifts that you've given to us and that we might honor you and glorify you and build up the body of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.